Welcome to the Relatively Damaged podcast by Damaged Parents, where wrecked, tainted, marred people come to learn maybe, just maybe, we're all a little bit damaged. Someone once told me it's safe to assume 50% of the people I meet are struggling and feel wounded in some way. I would venture to say it's closer to 100%. Every one of us is either currently struggling or has struggled with something that made us feel less than, like we aren't good enough, we aren't capable, we are relatively damaged, and that's what we're here to talk about. In my ongoing investigation of the damaged self, I want to better understand how others view their own challenges. Maybe it's not so much about the damage. Maybe it's about our perception and how we deal with it. There's a deep commitment to becoming who we are meant to be. How do you do that? How do you find balance after a damaging experience? My hero is the damaged person the one who faces seemingly insurmountable odds to come out on the other side whole. Those who stare directly into the face of adversity with unyielding persistence to discover their purpose. These are the people who inspire me to be more fully me, not in spite of my trials, but because of them. Let's hear from another hero. Today's topic includes sensitive material which may not be appropriate for children. This podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as advice. The opinions expressed here were strictly those of the person who gave them. Today we're going to talk with Sophia Norley. She has many roles in her life, daughter, mother, sister, writer, and more. We'll talk about how she was the girl who watched over her parents and still feels like an imposter today. Let's talk. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Welcome to the show, Sophia. How are you today? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to have you here. So when... You came on to the show to talk about a struggle you've had in your life, and you sent me a snippet from your book that I felt deeply, and you've offered to go ahead and and read that for us so that maybe the audience could have a better understanding of that moment in your struggle. Sure, I'll be happy to. Yes. The chapter is called, I Watched Him Bleed. I lay in bed listening to the raised voices circling through the rest of the flat. This fight has been going on for at least an hour and it was already 1.30 in the morning. God, how I wish they would give the pub a rest. Then on reflection, I guess they would still drink at home. It wouldn't make a blind bit of difference. Though they might fight earlier, which would benefit me and my schooling greatly. I heard a huge crash, crash. Something obviously went flying through the air and landed against a wall. Things seemed to be escalating. There was another crash. This time I heard my mother scream. The banging and crashing continuing around the front room for what seemed like an hour, but in reality was only a couple of minutes. Then the front room door slammed. At least I will be able to get some sleep now, I whispered to myself. But really my head was racing and my mind was whizzing around with the scenes that played out in my head to go with the noises that I've just heard. I then heard a blood-curdling scream, which in itself wasn't strange. But what was strange and extremely shocking was that it was my stepfather, not my mother. What have you done, you bitch? He flung at her. Call an ambulance. Call it your fucking self, arsehole. I'm going to bed, I heard my mum spit back. With that, I heard my mum's bedroom door shut and rustling in the kitchen. Then I thought I'd heard the front door shut. So with that, I got up to see what had been going on. However, as I left the safety of my room, I saw my stepfather, that huge beast of a man, standing at the front door with a pair of scissors sticking out of his chest, with a dirty tea towel wrapped around them. We stared at each other in complete shock for a brief moment, him with anger in his eyes, which actually wasn't unusual, and me with panic. I retreated back into my room and swiftly jumped back into bed. What had I just seen? Whatever it was, 
I knew the best thing to do was to stay where I was and to say nothing at all to anybody. Wow. I, when you, when I read that and as you read it to us just now, I felt alone. When that incident happened for you, what were your feelings? What did that physically feel like? Alone is a really good word. I spent my childhood feeling fear, anxiety. I was always on high alert and alone. I constantly felt I was the alone child. It didn't matter if I was at home or at school, that feeling followed me everywhere. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I felt fear and abandonment. And when you felt the fear, what did that, how did that physically manifest itself? Was it a, a tightness in your tummy, tension? Probably tension. As a child, yeah, I was always tense. I was always, even though I used to go off in little dreams in my imagination, it used to take me away. I was always quite sad, even when I spent time with my grandparents who I adored and who were perfect. I was always a very sad child. It just seemed to carry, follow me around. Yeah, and I was always just wanting to hide. I wanted to hide a lot as a child. And I carried that on into adulthood, in fact, until very recently. Yeah, I just wanted to be not seen, not heard, not get in the way and not be involved in any of those dramas. I knew that was best to to stay quiet. So was this a nightly thing not the of course the scissors in the chest but was this like ever did it seem like every night or every day or was it like a weekly thing I mean how often were you experiencing this and also with that how old do you think you were when that happened that I was cool I think I mean a lot of my mem. for some reason the age of my memories they morph into each other but I think I was around seven or eight but yeah it it's hard to pick through memories like that because I laid I kind of buried them for so long so yeah I think about seven or eight what was your first question again I've forgotten now how often was this happening for you so violence was not an everyday thing but definitely an every week alcohol drugs within the home criminals that bad vibe that was life that was norm I had no idea what a normal what we perceive as normal now was Mm. back then it was very erratic full of it was high tension a lot of high tension yeah a lot of experiences like that where there was violence alcohol police raids things things like that it was yeah it was pretty constant yeah so I would think it'd be really hard to feel safe and you know one of the things that you had read about was you know it would benefit you and your school greatly so I'm thinking there was an impact on schooling can you tell us about that yeah my mum she was an alcoholic so everything was very erratic she would always like lots of people around her so we'd have lots of people around night early morning she'd always have the radio playing because even if there was people there or not people there she didn't want to be alone so I didn't get a lot of sleep it was very erratic and when my younger sister came along I felt very responsible for her so I took that on board I loved school because it was an escape. I wasn't very good at school. I couldn't spell. I couldn't read very well until sort of late teenage years. It was just where I kept persevering and I carried a little dictionary around with me to look up words and, and that helped. And in fact, I still have that and it's it's quite thread, threadbare now. My girls laugh. But yeah. I loved school. I would have loved to go go to college and do something more creative. I didn't have the opportunity. So Mm. because in that environment, your options are pretty limited, really. Yeah. I mean, so even with schooling, it sounds like you, your parents probably didn't help with 
with homework and, and things like that, like give us a, an example of a day in the life of you as a child, besides, besides this one, and that was a night. <laughs> so, because, yeah, no, no, I would never have, my mum was very, even though she was this character, she was highly intelligent. Unfortunately, she made wrong choices that took her on a path that she unfortunately couldn't get herself off. But she was highly intelligent and very creative. We had piles of books all around us all the time. And she was very eager for me to not be treated how she was treated and to do something better. However, she couldn't follow through on any of that. She just had the words and the, and sometimes when she was sober, like one time I can remember, we used to act out Oliver Twist, me and her, and yeah, and things like that. But they're very far and few between. I would go to school and sometimes I'd come home and she wouldn't be there and I'd be sitting on the doorstep in the pouring rain. Um, we had times where she disappeared for three days. Uh, that was quite regular once I became a teenager. So I would look after my little sister. How much younger was your like little said, sister? She was, how, uh, she's nine, nine years younger than me. Okay, so, so you really yeah, did I, I, kind of take on a parenting role then? Because I think it's what, after eight years, it's like having a an only another only child, right? So you were... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I definitely did a lot more than uh, I should have done. Yeah, I I really cared for her. My mum would disappear. She went off to prison several times and we we got farmed out and things like that. It was an interesting upbringing. And before I actually accepted how bad it was, I used to call it bohemian because I wanted, I thought that I had to hide it. I thought no one would like me if they knew my backstory, that I would never be able to achieve anything. So I used to put this little tag on it. Yeah. And when I realized, actually, I had nothing to do with my childhood. I was just there. It wasn't my, I didn't make those choices. I felt so embarrassed and so much shame as a child and as an adult it carried on I just felt beneath everyone and that started at childhood obviously yeah I mean my mum used to take me shoplifting taught me how to shoplift that was our our day most days I would go to the shop and shoplift because I had to so if so mom was off doing something and then maybe you and sister needed to eat so you would just go shoplift food and things like that yeah yeah definitely it just seems to me like that would be a super kind of desperate place to be and what was it I mean did you know better or did you and and but it was the only choice you could make in that moment tell me about what was going on in your mind right then when I was younger I obviously didn't know any different I thought everyone's mum was like that that was normal life even though I used to go and stay with my nan and granddad maybe on a Saturday night and they were completely different proper you know British old-fashioned and and it was lovely and I adored them so I I knew there was something different but it was as I grew and I started to realize my mum has a problem with drink my mum has a problem with drugs these people that are in our house are no good and I did try to help her I would tip alcohol down the sink and obviously none of that made any difference I started to know as I became sort of a young teenager that these things weren't right but quite frankly I didn't have a choice back then at some points we wouldn't have eaten if I didn't do that Uh, and she was my mum and I was fearful I mean you know not she did hit me I was fearful that we wouldn't live more than anything else. Uh, it was that just you wouldn't live. Is that what you said? That you wouldn't live more yeah, than anything as, else? Yeah, not as in I would die, but as we wouldn't be able to survive. We needed food. We needed this. This is just how we we got by. But I mean, I left home as soon as I could. I left home probably the first time when I was just about 16 I had to go back briefly but as soon as I could leave I let because I know I knew that if I didn't distance myself from that environment I would very quickly go down that same path so yeah I, I went I went out on my own and and did the best that I could got a job 
got a bed sit and that's where I started sort of my own little life but yeah but I still carried all that shame around and embarrassment and yeah still fearful and and I hadn't healed so yeah you carry things along don't you (laughs) If, if you haven't dealt with things yeah so so I heard you say that mom went to to prison or sometimes and was dad not around after this incident or no, my my biological dad left, uh, I think I was about one, they split up. He lived very near us, but I didn't really, wasn't very close. He had another family and had moved on, basically. And if it wasn't for my grandma, who was his mother, I probably would never have got to see him. So he wasn't really interested. My stepfather, thankfully, Thankfully, they had broke up because they were very volatile, obviously, from that part in the story. So, yeah, yeah, basically, it was just my nan and granddad. But I don't think they actually knew a lot of what was going on. It was only later, sort of, as I grew up, I think they understood a lot more. So, you're, you said it's nan and grandpa that you say nan and, nan, nan and grandpa yeah, I just we, want to make sure I get it right <laughs> okay so you've got nan you've got nan and grandpa mom goes to prison are you getting shuffled back to nan and grandma nan and grandpa during that time or are you having to go to foster care what's happening well my sister was farmed out between her my stepfather and his family at different points and one of my mom's close friends so she kind of did a circle I actually went to stay with my dad uh, for a time, which was I completely awful. I didn't like it. They didn't want me there. And in fact, I couldn't wait to get, this is so strange. I couldn't wait to get back to my mum's home because I felt so unwanted there. Very strange kind of environment. And another time, funny enough, that my mum went to prison, I ended up staying in her flat while she was there because she'd only gone for a short period. And my father and his wife managed to persuade, what are they called? Like the social services people, you know, people that deal with that, that they would keep an eye on me. And because I was a late, you know, I was, I think I was coming up to 15. Yeah, it would be fine. So I stayed there. And I actually write about that in my book. Of course, at the time, I thought it was really cool for a brief moment. But yeah, when I look back and I think I would never leave my kids ever. So, right. I mean, that's a big deal. But okay. So what you said, you had talked about being farmed out. Your little sister was farmed out. I mean, is that what it felt like? You guys were just beans that needed a place to go. So here, this will work or here, that will work. Is that kind of what you mean when you use that word? Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, that's another bit I write about in my book because it's a memory that I hold really close. I remember my mum had gone to pre- gone to court and then she ended up going to prison. I had to go and pick my sister up from school and I had to tell her while people in the background were making arrangements for for mainly her. And I can remember thinking, no one actually wants us. No one loves us. And I picked her up from school and we'd sat on the curb outside the school as all the other mums and kids were running home and that. And I can remember it as if it was yesterday, thinking, wow, we're really worthless. We literally are sitting in the gutter, completely worthless. So, yeah, you just felt like you were, yeah, just nothing, just just a piece of shopping or something or a, a piece of old furniture that someone doesn't want anymore. Oh, ouch. Okay, so the next thing... Gosh, I just want to give that room for a moment. That was painful to, that's painful to think about. Okay, so, so dad, stepmom, don't want much to do with you. And you were eager to go back home when you had stayed with them. And even, so I think what I'm hearing is even though it was chaotic and there was a a significant amount of uncertainty, you knew you were loved or was it different than love? Or what, he, I, you see where I'm going? I wanted my mum to love me desperately. And I'm sure she did. She had her own story that after she died, a lot came to light. Um, not making excuses because people can still always choose to do the right thing in my mind. But I think it was, that's what I knew. That was my safety. So mm-hmm. I would rather be with 
somewhere where I know, somewhere I didn't feel safe, but that was what I knew. And I've come to understand that's what happens with a lot of women, kids that are abused. Rather, they go back to what they know because it, what else do you, what else have you got? And I think when you're younger, it's even more prevalent because you haven't experienced the world. And I hadn't experienced all the people that I've come into contact, you know, as I've grown. It was a certain type of people. That's just what I knew. That's what I thought life was like. I now obviously realize it's not. Yeah. So maybe there's a little bit of safety in just knowing what to expect. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you're 16 and you're going out on your own. What did that look like? I was actually excited, I think, because, I mean, it's a long time ago now, but I was excited more than nervous because I was always quite a dreamer and I always yearned for something more. You know, as a kid, I'd sit and look at the stars and I'd dream about what I wanted. And, you know, that was what kept me going. So yeah, I got a job that didn't, didn't really pay a lot. I wanted to go to college, but couldn't. We have white, well, we did when I was younger, YTS, which is a bit like an apprenticeship. I don't mm-hmm. know if you have something love them, but you don't get paid a lot. You walk, work, you work a lot of hours. But for me, it was I liked it. It was a good place. I worked in a fancy dress shop. It was fabulous. The people that came in, there was lots of theatre types. Yeah, so I was starting to meet and see different lifestyles. So that was great for me. I didn't earn a lot. At points, I lived in some pretty horrible bedsits. At other points, I lived in some nice flats with other girls, you know, as I started to earn a bit more money. Had a good career in fashion, in, in stores, ended up managing some. So, yeah, I, it was exciting. And I was making my own friends. I was getting to dress how I wanted without someone slating me. My mum, as I grew, would spend a lot of time slating me and putting me down and I think I think that was more to do with obviously how she felt about herself but it stuck with me I mean for years I thought I was fat I thought I was ugly I thought I was unintelligent I thought I was crazy it took me a good few decades to realize that's a pile of rubbish but yeah that stuck with me but yeah I I, it was exciting really Mm quite exciting I was still nervous because I was living in the same town that my mum still lived in my mum still liked to go shopping or Mm. shoplifting and of course (laughs) I worked in a in a shop so I was very fit yeah but luckily the first big store that I worked in the ladies there my manager they didn't know all the ins and outs but they knew that this lady was my mum and they were so understanding to me like if ever she would come in which was very rare that was nice and that probably was the first time that people didn't judge me on where I came from but I didn't realize it back then I've kind of only started to realize it now that they they loved me they from for what I gave them in you know I worked hard I was good at my job it didn't matter about the past really yeah and it sounds like it didn't matter that I, I lost you for oh there you are it sounds like it to them you you weren't judged on where you had been, you were judged for who you were in that moment. And even if mom came into the shop, it, they didn't hold mom's behavior against you at all. No, they were fantastic. And like I said, I progressed. I started there as a part-time girl and progressed right up to, I became a manager within the company in another town, but yeah, I did really well. And I was really proud of myself because I didn't expect that to happen. I expected to go down the same route of, of where I live and the people there. So, yeah, I, w- I felt very, very blessed. I'm wondering if it was in those moments when you were shown love. I'm, I'm going to venture to call it love. I think it's, it is a, a form of love to see people for where they are and for how they're doing. Do you think, do you also think, because I'm thinking in my mind that, that that was kind of the beginning of the next phase of your journey to find value in yourself? I mean, did it take another person believing in you first in order for you to start believing in you? I mean, that my nan and granddad always believed in me and my nan was always 
not pushing, that's not the right word, but you're wonderful. You know, she adored me. I was a one and only. So it probably started with them. And then, and then this job, it, it was lovely to people to give me a chance to actually do this job. So I did start to believe in myself and more confidence. I don't see it as being, I wasn't confident on the inside. I still felt the same on the inside, but I was able to mix more and do more and challenge myself more and and do things that I'd never thought that I would ever do. I mean, it's been a long progress for me because I obviously carried a lot of that from childhood with me, made some bad decisions along the way. And I think you attract similar people if you haven't dealt with it. I mean, it was only as I wrote my book that I started to process that and sort of the situation I was in at the time with my ex and realise I'm still carrying a little bit of that little girl. I'm still allowing certain things to go on. So it's been a long, long process. But that definitely was the start and a really good start for me because it just made me feel like I could do more. So it sounds like it was the first time outside of Nan and Granddad that you were able to feel like maybe humans aren't so bad. Yes, definitely. And that people live a different way and think a different way and act a different way. So that gave me options. That meant, oh, okay, I I could do that or I could be that. It, It made me look at myself, yeah. Which is fascinating, right? When... When you can take that and look inside and and go, oh, there's other possibilities. What about like, it sounds like what you were describing earlier was maybe a bit like imposter syndrome. Like you were in this job and on the inside, you felt like you had no idea what you're doing. But on the outside, what was manifesting in your life was very different. What did that feel like to you? What was that like? Well, I I think I've been really close friends with imposter syndrome until very recently I think he or she has lived within me for absolutely ages because of that because I knew where I came from but I knew that I didn't want to stay there I wanted to go a different path so to do that you have to take these little steps and jump out your comfort zone but inside I was like I felt don't anyone ever discover my story don't anyone even to the point where I'd be picking my children up at school and you know, I wouldn't want anyone to know where I'd come from. And I wasn't ever one to put on airs and graces and things like that, because I, I can't. But it was always there in the back of my mind. And the funny thing is that for a long time, people have been had been saying, you need to share your story. And it was only when I was going through some therapy that I was talking to this lady and we really got down to it. And I thought, yeah, I do. And it was only through sharing my story that I suddenly got rid of that thinking, well, I've it now, no one's going to find find out about, you know, I've shared it, I've given it out to the world. So that released a very big weight off my shoulder. You know, I, I, I didn't feel like I was pretending anymore, though I wasn't pretending. It was just like, I let that backpack go, I think. Right, like the mask came off kind of, like you were still the person and this was just the mask and you were able to hang the mask up kind of, uh, hang the mask up and turn around and look in the mirror and say this, I've always been this person, I just happen to have this mask on. Is that maybe a good description? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, And I didn't feel ashamed about that anymore. Once I shared... I didn't feel ashamed. I, I just, felt, in fact, I felt proud. I, I was like, yeah, I am that girl. I am that girl that watched my stepfather watched my mum go to prison. I am that girl that sat on the bed crying alone. Yes, I am that girl, but I'm a whole lot more as well. And I should be proud that I've come from that place to where I am now. And, and that kind of was the first time that, I don't know why that entered my brain. It was, it was, it was quite enlightening. It really, really was. Yeah, it was was a moment. It really was a moment. (laughs) It sounds like you, so now, right now, it sounds like the way you view yourself is, yes, I, this, this, all of this happened to me and I am also this person. It's Mm. not, it doesn't sound like it's either or. It's, it's like almost like two halves came together. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's I've it, I've accepted that I am that girl from then. I am the the party girl of my twenties. I am the mom or the divorcee. I am, but I'm me. I'm Sophia. I'm all of those things, and that's wonderful. I've, I I suppose I've embraced it. That must be you know I've embraced, and I'm happy about that. I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. So tell me how you got from. 16 years old and in this manager position to to where you are now because it seems like you've got this confidence inside of you and and you can totally own who you are I'm thinking there's a really neat journey in between having that job and who you are right now and it sounded like there was a lot of fun in your 20s if you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope Visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. So tell me how you got from 16 years old and in this manager position to to where you are now, because it seems like you've got this confidence inside of you and, and you can totally own who you are. I'm thinking there's a really neat journey in between having that job and who you are right now and it sounded like there was a lot of fun in your 20s yeah there was quite a bit it was nice I think I am definitely more confident than I used to be and and that's been a process over the last few years I had a full hysterectomy back in 2017 and that was a real big turning point for me I'm I really looked at myself and the relationship that I was in how I was being treated. I went through therapy. And so so the last four years, three and a half years, has been a real transformation for me. And I am so much more confident than I was. But I think the big thing is I am just so hap- happy with myself. I don't know if that's the right word, but comfortable. I'm comfortable with myself now. I mean, I had my fair share of bad choices of men along the way, fortunately both of my husbands. I understand why now. Both had wonderful qualities, but both had qualities really not so lovely that weren't compatible to me, you know, and I, I, I have made bad choices along the way, but none, none of the choices I made were um, predetermined. I think I did roll with a lot of things, you know, my jobs and first marriage, my children. I think having children really was my saving grace because I was always determined. I was always, well, first off, when I first fell pregnant with my first child, I cried for two weeks thinking, I don't know how to be a mother. I've never been taught. Surely I'm going to accidentally kill this baby. I was distraught, absolutely distraught. And then I just thought, and I had no one to help me. So I was worried. But when she came after, you know, you you ease into it, don't you? And I realised, wow, I love being a mum. And... I'm going to make sure that these children have a completely different life to what I have. And in my mind, and I don't know if this is the right way I should have been thinking, I thought I would just do the opposite, absolutely opposite to everything my mother did. And surely I'll get it right. I'll get it right. <laughs> that probably isn't the right way to look. But for, for a, a woman that has no one around to help her and, you know, my kids are, I know we all say it, but they've turned out pretty well. You know, I've got a 22-year-old and a 13-year-old. They're both great kids. So thank you. I've done something right there. But yeah, it it was a journey, but I just rolled with it, I think. It's been the last three and a half, four years where I've really thought, I need to deal with some stuff. I need to deal with some of those feelings from way back when I was a child, which I thought I had dealt with. But I hadn't. I'd just hidden them. I just had the kind worst. of hidden them away. It's the worst because you think you did it. You think you think you did it, and yet it, you didn't. Or maybe you kind no. of did. Yeah, it's just. I hard. think what I did was. Yeah, I think what I did was I just put a little plaster on it so that I could move out of that environment and and go through my life in a fairly decent way. But then hindsight's a wonderful thing isn't it when I look back and I think oh yeah that's why I made that choice because I still felt like that little scared girl 
and I was and I said to someone before it felt like I was carrying a rucksack and it was this filled with all this guilt and shame and dirt and all that and it wasn't until I dealt with it in my mind and in fact when I when I sat and with the therapist and said for the very first time at the age of must have been 47 I think I said wow my childhood was really crap I think I used a different word but (laughs) and she looked at me and she said I'm so glad you've said that because I kept saying oh it was really bohemian yeah it was just all you know all this I was glossing over and I just it was then I thought wow I need to get to the bottom of this. So yeah, that that's what I did. And I, so and that's how I came to with it. Right. And it sounds like you did the best with the tools you had. I mean, if the best you could do was put plaster on the wall, if you will, right? Then then you at least yeah. you got the plaster on the wall until you were in a position where you could deal with it, which you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is three to four years ago. Can So what happened three to four years ago that all of a sudden you're able to, 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 to really kind of dive back in and, and understand maybe was it to get a better understanding or is it to, I know there's a transition that happens and I'm, I'm looking for the words right now, but if you know what I'm saying, just go ahead and answer this. And had this history, get the words up, hysterectomy. I had all these feelings, which I believe a lot of women have, which is, oh, I'm not going to be a woman again. It's a big thing to have all of that taken away. And my marriage wasn't very good. I was in counselling. Was, I was putting a plaster on that as well. Everything came together at the same time. I think it, it definitely was meant to be that time. My counsellor and I was really in tuned and she really got me and she was brutally honest. And like I said, I've been told to write things down previously, but just thought, no. I was like, oh, no, I'm not doing it. I, I connected with an author who asked me to write a chapter in her book and I was like, oh. And then something, I was out walking and I something just told me to do it and for a child that couldn't spell or read it was a big thing but I thought okay let's do it let's just do that first one what's what's the worst and that kind of led to me writing one memory down made another memory come up and I was like whoa and I wrote that down and then another one and it it just kept flowing it just kind of not took hold of me that's not the right words but like it came out it just uh, flooded out kind of yeah and I had to keep going because it wasn't going to stop and it and like I said previously it it was really therapeutic but really scary as well but it did make me face things bad things and good things and at the end of it I mean I had this in fact I did it on my I I wrote it on my little uh, little iPad funny enough and I had it all there and I was like oh what do I do now then with it? And I was like, oh, do I do something without it now? But I was persuaded to send it off and get it all edited and, you know, properly done. And then I thought, oh, okay. You know, it just all rolled quite naturally. But once I'd got it down, I didn't want to look at it again. I was done. Yeah, I, cu- I couldn't go back and reread it. And I haven't. I have I, I have the book here, but I haven't once. I'm like read the whole. You haven't yeah. read the whole yeah. thing, so because you read for us the little piece earlier, but it's yeah. so yeah. when when you're writing this memoir, what? So you start. Okay, let me backtrack here. You started with the one chapter or the one bit, and then that triggered the next one, which triggered the next one. Now, when I'm thinking, it was really hard to write about. So was it as you? What were some of the emotions? Like when you're writing that first one, do you remember what those feelings were like? Yeah. And in fact, the first um, one I wrote was about when I picked my sister up from school, because that's the one that brought a lot of emotion to me because I was really, really, really close to my sister. I felt really protective. It brought up a lot of sadness, not anger to be which is strange. I, I, I don't feel any anger towards my mum or my, or my dad or, or anyone, really. They had their crosses to bear, which they didn't bear very well. I think they've paid their price. But it brought a, I felt sad for the little girl, really. Uh, I felt really, yeah, just like... I mean, some of, the, some of the stories I kind of can laugh at now. 
obviously not that one I read, but there are some in the book that are quite funny and I haven't wrote about everything, but yeah, I, I felt sad and I did feel that loneliness again, but I think towards the end I felt, wow, you weren't, you were pretty strong as a little girl. So I felt, I felt quite proud of her. I felt like, yeah, she was a little girl just sitting there and I could see her and everything. I, yeah, I, I felt, a lot of the times I felt back there. I could see my bedroom. I could see the flat where we lived. Some of the people I started to see really clearly again. So it, it was a pretty ma- amazing experience. It seems to me like you were, in the, what you're describing, like you were able to give your, that, child self of yours a big hug and say wow you were courageous and you were brave and look at what you made it through yeah and and I think none of us really like to big ourselves up do we we just don't it's not it's not natural for us but it did make me look at myself in a different light where people had said things like that before you should be proud of yourself you're you're a strong person I would think to myself you really don't know me but it did make me look yeah and you know people would say you're really confident well I would I I was thinking well I'm not being confident I just don't want there to be a silence and I I was always very nervous about other people's feelings so going through all that made me see her that little girl how these other people had been seeing her maybe saw me so it it, yeah it took on a whole new experience It, it made me appreciate myself more I'm trying I'm wondering what that feeling felt like when was there a sudden realization that I appreciate that you appreciated yourself more or was it something slow that just happened over time as you wrote the book yeah definitely slow very slow progress yeah it's it's still kind of maturing I'm still yeah I'm not quite where I want to be but I'm a lot I mean I spent years hiding really from everything and everyone and situations and so now it's still a very slow progress but I know I'm so much further on than I was yeah it wasn't an automatic thing yeah it seems like you're from what you're describing you're more confident than you would have been three or four years ago had I met you then and that you're more accepting of the journey and right yeah yeah yeah, I, I definitely, I mean, three years ago, a, a year ago, I probably never would have done this for for without a, without a doubt, I wouldn't have done because I would have worried about oh, what will people think or this or that or, you know, I think children from environments where I grew up, the kind of environment I grew up in, are very take on board everything everyone else thinks, says, does. And I didn't really shed that. And now I'm kind of like if people like me they like me if they don't like me they don't like me that's fine I'm that's perfectly fine I'm a lot happier in my own skin so yeah a year ago we wouldn't be talking so right so you let's see how do I want it so slow transition all of a sudden you notice like you didn't notice a year in or two years in and, but now looking back, you can see that the changes that you've made and, and you recognize, and, and I think I just heard you say also that there's still more to come. Yeah, I think we all evolve. I think that's natural. You know, we all evolve over time. I think mine's been very slow for quite a few years. Well, maybe quick, you know, when I was a late teenager and then slow, but these last few years a lot quicker, but I definitely know I'm I don't really like the phrase in becoming myself, but I, I'm just kind of allowing myself to be and allowing people to know me and see me and, and know my story. I'm happy to share it with people now, which has made a huge difference, even with my children, because my 22-year-old didn't really know. She knew, knew I had a different upbringing but she didn't know all the ins and outs. So it, I, I feel quite liberated that even my children know, oh, mummy had a completely different life to we do. And what I'm admitting that would be really interesting to, to share that with my kids. I, I also have children, uh, teenagers, but if I had written my story and shared it with them, what was that like for you when you shared it with them and they, 
I mean, this is a what you read at the beginning. I mean, that's so intense and heart wrenching. Do you think that they have a better insight of of who you are and your wounds and maybe a deeper understanding of who their mom is? Yeah, definitely. My youngest hasn't read it because she's only 13 and she has asked her. And at first I was a bit not sure. And then I said, okay, you know, she's quite mature. You can do if you want. I don't think she has yet. She might have started to. My eldest has read it. I was nervous about that, but she definitely understands me a lot more now and that story and she appreciates a lot more I was always the mother from how she was growing up because I never let her do anything never let this never and she said to me mom I know why you were strict and you were doing the best for me yeah so we have a completely different relationship now which is absolutely lovely and yeah she read it all and I think she was a little bit shocked so sharing that vulnerable part of you and the part maybe you judged the most with your daughter changed your relationship with her Mm -hmm. and so maybe now was she she's not as I mean I think all teenagers become bitter teenagers at some point but (laughs) the 20 because the 22 you're laughing and I was I think because I never got away with anything I'm quite a hard mother because to be fair I look at I have nothing to judge motherhood on so I always you know I would think my mum would take a belt to me if I said some of the things that she had said as she was growing up and I had to keep reminding myself that that wasn't normal that wasn't a normal life that teenagers do that I read loads that she was becoming a teenager trying to, to get as much advice but my life was so different I would never would have got away with any of that but her behavior was normal teenage behavior yeah so I had to keep that was a learning curve for me definitely trying not to expect so much from them because that was expected of me and not being too soft because I don't want to be like my mum and I want to make sure I'm a good mum yeah so yeah that was definitely tough at points yeah for sure so what was your first conversation with her like at when she finished the book just what did you think you know and and she didn't put a lot into words it was more how she acted afterwards she become a lot more she's always been quite affectionate but really affectionate and really close and yeah it's more supportive really Mm -hmm. and and understanding a lot more understanding so so much has come just from sitting down and and starting to write because that's all you did with it and then it just kept coming what would you say to someone else getting ready to write a memoir or thinking of writing a memoir in about how it helped you process through the the pain and suffering and joy of your past? I think you have to be prepared to really let go. And at first, I was very much, I can't spell, I can't do this, I can't do that. Well, in fact, it turns out that I actually am really good at all those things I thought I was really bad at. But I think once I let go... And I was really led by my heart rather than my head thinking, oh, what do I need to write? How would someone else write? What's the right way to write? And just write what I wanted as if I was talking. Once I completely let go and I I do that now, it just flows. It just really, really flows. And if you have a couple of mistakes not the end of the world the world's not gonna collapse is it if there's a the where there should be something else just just really let go and be prepared I think for those days where it does hit you because some days I really yeah I crashed after after writing was very tired like emotionally crashed yeah yeah really yeah really got to me and I cried over some things that I had never shed a tear for before and they obviously needed to come out so that was good but it it does it it was quite shocking for me thinking whoa but you've just I think you've just got to let go and, and go with it and not ever worry about anybody else what anyone else thinks says or does is none of your business get on with what you want to do and just do it it sounds like in some ways you're you might be saying a little bit, be curious about 
your past, mm. write about it and understand it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I thought I'd put all that to bed. I thought it had all gone. It was the past. I'm very much like that. Everything, get up, move along, forget about all that. But yeah, just I think everyone's got a story to tell that can help someone else. And I mean, I didn't start writing it for that. It, it's happened that that has happened. I've gone into schools and spoken to kids about resilience. Kids are living similar lives to that. And that is so humbling. So I'd, I think if you've got something to say, say it because you really don't know who it's going to help, even if it's just yourself. I like that at the end, even if it's just yourself, because it's, it's healed you in, in a lot of ways, it sounds like. Okay, so three words, or not three words, three things that you would like the audience to know that might be tools in their tool chest so that they can have hope for their future. So first, and I think I've always been like this, but only realized recently, you can fall, but you can't stay down there. And only you can pick yourself up. You can fall and stay, if you're feeling down, depressed, stay down for a week, stay down for a month, get yourself back up. And I think I've always been like that. I think I'm quite a stubborn person. So, yeah, I've always done that. And something I've learned and and trying very hard to take on board now is previously I always was a perfectionist. Everything had to be perfect because then, then no one can pick holes in you no one can you know say anything but in fact now do some things that are imperfect and do them on purpose because it actually is quite liberating uh it doesn't matter it really doesn't matter people will love you anyway they really will and probably do that thing that really scares you if, if it really scares you then you should be doing it because I've always been, oh, no, I couldn't possibly do that. Oh, no, I couldn't go on a podcast. I couldn't do that. But now I think if I say that to myself, no, I couldn't do it, I know I'm meant to be doing it because that's the little devil say, you know, trying to keep me. So, so do those things that you're scared of. Thank you, Sophia, so much for coming on to Relatively Damaged and talking about the damage in your life and how you've overcome that and how you're still looking forward to continuing to overcome it. That, that I mean, I really get this clear understanding that yes, it's a process and yes, it keeps going. Yeah, definitely. No, thank you for having me. I've loved it. It's really, really been enjoyable. Thank you. If you want to share your relatively damaged story of struggle and how you found hope, visit us at damagedparents.com and complete the contact form. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Relatively Damaged by Damaged Parents. We really enjoyed talking to Sophia about how she escaped an abusive home. We especially liked when she explained how writing about her traumatic journey helped her to heal. To unite with other damaged people, connect with us on Instagram. Look for Damaged Parents. We'll be here next week, still relatively damaged. See you then.